Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban, and this is the first half of a two-part episode on screening for hunger and food insecurity. I'll be speaking to two guests in this episode. My name is Kristen Bigelow-Talbert, and I'm the Community Health Quality Manager at Bi-State Primary Care Association. My name is Katie Davis, and I work at Hunger Free Vermont, um, and we are an education and advocacy organization that works at the systems level to end hunger and malnutrition for all Vermonters. One thing to note is that Kristen works with federally qualified health centers, or FQHCs, while Katie works with a broad range of medical practices. Anyone who is willing to talk to me um, and interested in taking part in the work I have been interested in talking to. Multiple organizations collect data on food, food access, and healthy diets. For example, Feeding America and the U.S. Department of Agriculture were both featured in our first episode this season. Healthcare is also a place where we cover this topic. For example, the Community Health Needs Assessments, which regularly assess obstacles to a healthy diet through a community lens. We described these in an earlier episode that we'll link in the show notes at plainerenglish.org. In this episode, we're talking about an individual patient meeting with their medical provider and being screened for food insecurity, so not a community assessment. This is specific information that tracks to an individual's health record using some formalized screening tool. One question is why you would want such a tool in the first place, and for many practices, it's baked into their perspective on what leads to good health. A lot of things lead to good health, many of them taking place outside of a doctor's practice, and we call these social determinants of health or sometimes social contributors, since they don't really determine anything, they just influence. So social determinants of health have been a kind of a hot topic for a few years now. It's been a major focus of HRSA, which is the funder of the FQHCs. And so they are really focused on it. And, and the FQHCs, since they also uh, serve an underserved population, this is a really important aspect of their work. And so they often screen for various components of social determinants of health, and that could be anything from housing security, you know, determining if somebody is homeless or if they have secure housing, or food insecurity, or domestic violence. Uh, it really runs the gamut. There's quite a few different social determinants of health that get screened for at varying levels at FQHCs across Vermont and New Hampshire. FQHCs are set up with the purpose of addressing broad social factors related to health, so it's an assumption in the model. For other practices, Katie finds hunger screening is a useful, tangible way to open that conversation, which makes up a lot of her work as an advocate. Creating space to have conversations about why, why it's important to ask in the medical setting. A lot of the barriers that I often hear about, I think, are, are folks who are either entrenched in kind of the, the old paradigm of, of medicine and not really seeing social determinants as having that big of an impact on health. Um, and so really that idea that quality healthcare is the driver of health. And while it's high quality healthcare is hugely important, it's not the factor that drives how healthy we are as much as the environment that we're living in. Going from general conversation to a formal tool is also a good way to avoid biases or misconceptions about patients. Ideally, the tool is used alongside conversations within a practice about hunger and its causes. Now, I don't know how many times our interview referenced creating space for conversation, but it was a lot. So I think Katie would appreciate me emphasizing this. One of the biggest roles that I play in, in trying to support providers in asking the food insecurity screening questions 
is to really make space for conversation, to be able to provide some insights and to challenge assumptions around what hunger looks like, what the causes of, of hunger are, and provide an opportunity for folks to have conversations. I think when it comes to food and, and providing basic needs, we all come at it with a variety of judgments that we've built up over the course of our lifetime. And it's really important for providers to really take a long, hard look at their approach um, and the assumptions that they bring to the table. Hunger screening adds actionable information to those conversations. It shows the risks of trusting our assumptions. A lot of providers say once they started doing screening, that patients that they never would have expected to be positive were positive for food insecurity. So you can't always tell judging a book by its cover, so to speak, if a person is food insecure or not. Using the screening tool is a really a great way to make sure you're capturing those patients who you might otherwise not suspect of being food insecure. Now, this screening for hunger isn't just providing new perspective on the scope of a problem. It's setting us up to bring hunger treatment into a familiar medical framework. Think about high blood pressure. There's a screening with that blood pressure cuff whenever you go in for an appointment, a diagnosis if that screen turns up something of concern, a treatment plan developed with your provider, then monitoring to adjust that treatment if necessary until the blood pressure is in a safe zone. Hunger screening is the first step to put food insecurity into the same frame of screen, diagnose, treat, monitor. Not everyone thinks this is the right formula. The ambivalence around screening can be summarized like this. We already have mechanisms to track hunger in our communities, some of which are specific to healthcare, like the community health needs assessments mentioned before. And at the end of the day, what we really want is everyone in our communities to have nutritious food easily available to them. The question then is why are we asking threshold questions? Why not work together to figure out what a place with abundant food available to everyone would look like and spend our time creating that? It's like universal school lunches. Food is available to all children, full stop. That's the sort of school community we want to build. It's a good point, and you'll see it come up again as we move along. But let's assume for now that you have not abandoned screening as a goal. In that case, the next step is to choose the right tool. There are dozens out there. There are different food insecurity screening tools that are used across the nation and also within Vermont and New Hampshire at the health centers. The two most popular ones one is called the hunger vital signs screening, and that's two questions. Within the past 12 months, we worried whether our food would run out before we got money to buy more, and within the past 12 months, the food we bought just didn't last, and we didn't have money to get more. And then the patients would answer, sometimes true, always true, or never true to those answers, and then they would be scored accordingly. The other very popular tool that's used is called PREPARE, that's P-R-A-P-A-R-E, not to be confused with the other PREPARE. This is a tool from the National Associations of Community Health Centers, and within that, it's, it's a whole social determinants of health screening tool. So it assesses much more than just food insecurity, but in question 14 of this tool, it does ask, in the past year, have you or any family members you live with been unable to get any of the following when it was really needed? And then there's a, there are six different uh, options you could choose from, one of those being food, and you answer yes or no to that. 
I also want to note that in Vermont, we do have a program and a new tool that's kind of a comprehensive tool that combined the SBIRT tool and the Hunger Vital Signs tool, among others. And that is the screening, brief intervention, brief treatment, and navigation to services tool, also known as SBINS. So some of the health centers are using this more comprehensive tool um, rather than just the hunger vital signs screening question. As Kristen mentions, some of these tools overlap. The hunger vital signs screen, which is the one Katie's group promotes, is itself a subset of a national census of food insecurity. People like different tools for different reasons. Each have a bit of nuance. There's some things I really like about the about the hunger vital sign. So one question is asking thing about if you ran out of money to buy food and didn't have more. Um, so that's really getting at did you do you actually have no resources? And the second is getting at are you were you worried about it? Um, so it's really getting at that level of concern, which I feel like especially feels especially salient in this time of the pandemic when folks are folks are feeling really concerned about things. So I think it's it's a nice recognition that being food secure is is not just about having enough money to buy food, but it's also about that kind of ongoing concern and anxiety around food access as well. One reason to prefer a particular tool may be as simple as the fact that it's tied to a larger program your health center participates in. They're taking part in like the Women's Health Initiative. They would be using the SBINS tool as their screening method of choice because they're required to as part of the Women's Health Initiative. And before you go thinking that's an overly pragmatic answer, placing hunger screening in the context of a larger program helps address some of the details that screening tools miss. Simple screens can't do everything. One of the limitations of the popular food insecurity screening tools that are out there is that it assesses for quantity of food and not quality. They, they ask patients if they're able to get enough food to eat, not if they're able to get the right kinds of food. A perfect tool would easily identify all nuance precisely and without taking a lot of time. Instead of waiting for perfection, we could use an imperfect tool for a quick screen, then direct patients towards a program that will tackle issues like quality of diet. Or let's say a patient missed that step, and your screening for hunger happens not at the prevention stage, but at a stage when we already see illness and we're trying to figure out why. Kristen does a lot of work identifying food insecurity at that stage, too. One of the things I found is when I do root cause analysis with uh, health centers on the topic of diabetes is we often find again and again and again that one of these root causes that we're finding is patients who are food insecure either in quantity of food or quality of food. And that's an important distinction because the quality of food, that piece is really important for patients with diabetes and other chronic conditions that they really get the food that would help them to manage their condition. And oftentimes, if patients are food insecure in the quality of food department, they may be having to get groceries at the dollar store, for example, because transportation is challenging and that's the closest place that they can go, or for a myriad of other reasons. You know, oftentimes at these convenience stores, the foods are highly processed, heavy in salt, heavy in carbs, things that really are not what you want to see in the diet of somebody who has one of these chronic conditions. Tied up in this description of working backwards, you see something else. 
other social contributors to poor health, like access to transportation or access to a kitchen to prepare and store food. Inherent in choosing a hunger screening tool is the decision whether to focus on hunger in a world with a lot of competing concerns. Katie works for Hunger Free Vermont, so that decision is sort of right in the name. But she also has to answer how this can all fit together. And oftentimes when I'm having conversations with medical providers about asking the food insecurity screening questions, I fully recognize that food insecurity screening questions are not the only screening questions for social determinants that they're being asked to ask their patients. Um, and so really trying to, to help think about what the processes look like in terms of, you know, this might be the first social determinant that you're starting to work on, but let's try and build a system that can then accommodate the other social determinants as well. I think a lot of providers have the sense that they need to jump right into the deep end of the pool, whereas you, I think, having more of a sustainable process, there, there can be a slower build. So um, not necessarily having to have developed your own interventions at your practice, but rather, you know, be aware of the ones that are happening in the community that you can connect folk with. I think one of the big things that I think a lot of medical providers are used to having to do everything on their own too, and that one of the biggest advantages of really recognizing that social determinants of health is this is a chance to leverage what's happening in your community and that there's lots of people who have been doing this work for a long time and are looking for allies. This is a way to build bridges um, and to really, to really tap into what's happening in your community as well. Not being overwhelmed, expanding programs sustainably, building bridges within your community. That sounds like a nice way to end this episode, don't you think? We've gone as far as selecting a tool, sort of. And in the next episode, we'll add one more voice to the mix and delve into implementing these screening tools right here on the Policy in Planner English podcast. Don't forget that all of our episodes come with show notes and links to more information. You can find these online at www.planerenglish.org.